Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 11. As Pastor Rob mentioned this morning, with respect to the series of sermons on the book of Galatians, uh, we'd been away from it for about a month. The same is true of the uh, book of 2 Kings. We return to it now. Uh, and in uh, chapter 11, uh, we are returning to uh, that part of the, the narrative that um, is the conclusion of the judgment that God brought upon uh, the house of Ahab. You remember that Ahab had a particularly evil reign, Ahab and uh, Jezebel. And uh, they did uh, despicable things. Um, they brought Baal worship into the northern kingdom of Israel. God raised up uh, Jehu to be the instrument of judgment upon the house of Ahab. In the previous chapter, we saw that Ahab, uh, it was pretty bloody, uh, uh, slew all those who had connections uh, with the house of Ahab. But tonight what we do in chapter 11 is we turn our attention now to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, chapter 10 uh, ends with uh, noting that, uh, uh, that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria 28 years. And then uh, we uh, go in chapter 11 to an account of um, the, what, what the aftermath of Jehu's slaying of Ahaziah is for the southern kingdom of Judah. The aftermath of that is that with Ahaziah's death, who was, you remember, was visiting uh, uh, Joram, who was the king in uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, while he was recovering in Jezreel. And God had ordained that uh, Ahaziah would be visiting Joram while uh, he was recovering because he was there for Jehu. Uh, and Jehu, when he brought uh, death to uh, Joram and to Ahaziah, um, uh, then left uh, the throne of the southern kingdom empty. So we pick up tonight in chapter 11 with an account of, as I said, the aftermath of that uh, for the throne of the southern uh, kingdom of Judea. And so what we want to do is um, pick up now uh, with verse 1 of chapter 11. And uh, I think in the bulletin it may say that we're going to go into chapter 12, but I think I'll end at verse 20, um, at the uh, uh, verse 20 of chapter 11. Hear the word of God. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord. 
while Athaliah reigned over the land. And Joash, um, but in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house. Another third being at the gate, sir. And a third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. And the captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. They each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. And then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword, anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. And so they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the, house, to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted uh, watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house, and he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced 
And the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for that great redemption which you wrought for the people of Israel, uh, which we were reminded of as we sang this evening, as you uh, slew the firstborn of Egypt and uh, saved your people and brought them uh, to yourself at Mount Sinai. Uh, We thank you, our Father, for the inheritance that you gave to them in Canaan and Joshua's leadership as you uh, distributed to your people their inheritance. And Father, we thank you that you brought them to your most holy mountain, and there you established the city of David, the city which is the mountain of the Lord, Zion. And there, O Lord, you uh, had Solomon build a temple, And there your glory filled the temple, and you dwelt among your people. Oh Lord, what a beautiful and wonderful thing it is when we consider the greatness of your redemption. When we consider as well that you have sent your only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to lead us out of sin and slavery, and to lead us into uh, the heavenly Canaan, and to bring us to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. We ask, O God, that as we hear of the history of your people, that we might understand and know that it is our history and that we are intimately related to that which occurred in Israel. We ask, O God, that as you uh, brought about uh, your great mercies to your people and your great patience with them, that you would also have patience with us as we go through this veil of tears And as we seek to be faithful to you throughout our lives, grant, O God, we pray that this word would teach us this night, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, one of the things that I think that we need to think about as as believers is that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, uh, let's see, I think I have it here. The uh, Confession of Faith uh, states that he is uh, designated as the mediator uh, for our salvation. And uh, I want to just read the language of this. It says, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man prophet, priest, and king, and head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Behind the institution of the kingship in Israel lies the reality of God's having ordained his only son to be the one who would become the God-man, who would be born of flesh, of the seed of David. 
And so God, the Son, is the great shepherd of his people. God, the Son, in his pre-incarnate existence, guided the people from, in their pilgrimage out of Egypt, into the promised land. And he gave them, uh, he gave them, uh, in, in the process of time, a king. He gave them Saul. And Saul was rejected, and he gave them David. And you remember that David's kingdom was a kingdom that God uh, established and made promises to, uh, pr- promises that lie behind the account that we have read tonight. And this promise is something that should be emblazoned on our minds, and that is the words of God to David, your house, your kingdom shall be made sure before me, forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. What I would like for us to see tonight is that the throne of David slash the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David, is secure and is firm and is sure forever before the Lord. And I'll tell you, that is your hope. That is the basis of your faith in God, that his work, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is perfect, that his life was given on the cross, and his sacrifice was full and complete and paid for all of your sins, all of them, past, present, future. He's a perfect Savior, and that he rose from the dead, and he sits now at the right hand of God on the throne of David, and the, thro- and, and the, town- and the people of Israel are being reconstituted under his throne. They're being called from the four corners of the earth to be citizens of his heavenly kingdom. If you are a Christian tonight, you're a member of the visible church, you are one who is a member of Israel, the people of God, the, the visible kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the words that David spoke concerning the promises that God made to him at the end of his life in 2 Samuel 23, verse 5. And these words, I think, are beautiful. Uh, Again, where David says, He has made with me, speaking of God, He has made with me an everlasting covenant. Ordered and in all things secure. Your salvation and my salvation are secure because the covenant that God made with David, the covenant that God made with the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, is ordered and it is secure and it can never go away. All of the kingdoms of this world will be toppled. But the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. And we have the privilege, if we have been brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of belonging to it. And so what I want us to see tonight is that uh, we're going to uh, divide this, uh, sec- this uh, chapter that we have read into uh, a number of headings. 
And rather than me flipping through because I didn't list them all, I'm going to try to remember to, to announce my headings. And so uh, the first heading is this. We see that uh, the repercussions of the death of Ahaziah uh, 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 the, the, uh, because of uh, uh, Jehu's judgment upon him, repercussions of that for the southern kingdom of Judah. Here's the heading. The king threatened. The king threatened. And why this is so important, verse 1. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. She arose and she destroyed all the royal family. Now remember, the Apostle Paul, when he announced, when he began the book of Romans, what did he say? He said, Paul set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the, according to the flesh. And yet, it says here in verse 1, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal family. So we have to pause for a second. We have to think. Oh, my word. Aren't you shocked? Athaliah was uh, a woman who was married to Jehoram, who was king. But Jehoram had died. And now that Ahaziah, her son, is dead, she sees her opportunity. And this is a dark hour. The darkest hour you sometimes hear is just before the dawn. This may be, and as you read through the history of the kings of Israel, this is, a, this is one of the darkest times in the history of Judea. It's a situation in which the lineage of David is threatened. And in the words of uh, the commentator Ralph Davis, he says, there came a time in, in, in uh, B.C. 840 when it looked like there wouldn't ever be a Christmas. That the seed of David, of which we have been um, considering from the book of Isaiah, all the prophecies concerning him, it seems uh, very bleak that the seed of David is being uh, destroyed by Athaliah. She arose and destroyed all the royal family. Now remember that deep cuts had already been made. Many of the royal family of David had already been destroyed. Jehoram, Athaliah's husband, whom she married under an arrangement that Jehoshaphat had made in an alliance, a marriage alliance with the northern kingdom of Israel. And Athaliah was, we don't know whether she was Jezebel's daughter, but she was certainly Ahab's daughter. She may have been Jezebel's daughter as well. But she certainly had Jezebel's spirit. And uh, she was Jehoram's wife while he was king after his father Jehoshaphat died. And uh, Jehoram walked in the ways 
Now, Jehoram, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, that is, the kings of the northern kingdom. And here's the reason that the chronicler gives for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. How unwise it was for Jehoshaphat to do this. Commentators say Jehoshaphat was personally pious, but covenantally, uh, I, I guess, stupid. I didn't know if I should use that word in the pulpit. Covenantally very unwise. He entered into a marriage alliance, marrying his son Jehoram to the daughter of Ahab. In addition to Jehoram, when Jehoram, and when, so taking Athaliah's advice, Jehoram killed his brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat. He killed all of his brothers. And we're told about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, 21. And then in addition to that, God brought judgment upon the southern kingdom uh, while all of these events with Jehu were going on in the northern kingdom by bringing the Philistines and the Arabians. In 2 Chronicles 21, we read that they raided the royal palace and they put to death uh, Jehoram and Athaliah's sons. So Jehoram killed his brothers. The Arabians and the Egyptian, and the Philistines and the Arabians killed Athaliah and Jehoram's sons. So deep cuts had already been made into the lineage of David. And then Ahaziah, who became king after Jehoram, was killed by Jehu. We read about that in chapter 9. And in addition to this, the sons of uh, Ahaziah's brothers, you might remember that when Jehu was on his way from Jezreel to Samaria, he came across some relatives of uh, the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who didn't know that their uncle uh, Ahaziah had been put to death by Jehoram. They come up to, Je to Jehu and uh, put to death by Jehu, and, and they come up to Jehu and they uh, inform him who they are. Jehu immediately slaughters them. Who was left for Athaliah to kill? Most likely her grandchildren, children of her own sons, the children of the sons that were slain by the Arabians and the Philistines, and any children belonging to Ahaziah, one of which we have read about tonight, Joash. And uh, she is intent on killing them, killing off the, uh, the seed of David. And I can't help but think that this is Satan using Athaliah to wipe out the promise of God of salvation through a king that would come from David's seed. And we read in Revelation, which we studied recently, of a great sign appearing in heaven. You might remember in chapter 12 of Revelation, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head having a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pangs and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven, 
Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And that is exactly what we see playing out in the history of Athaliah's murderous rage against the seed of David. Satan is using Athaliah to wipe out God's seed, the seed of David. And yet, God has established his king on Zion's holy hill, and the kingdom of God cannot be destroyed. And that means that because that promise was made to David, nothing can succeed. This attempt that Athaliah is making cannot possibly succeed. And so we come to verse 2. Verse 2, but Jehosheba, the daughter of Joram, the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him in his nurse and his nurse in a bedroom. And thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And so we see, secondly, the king protected God in his providence, in this dark hour, raises up the sister of Ahaziah, Jehosheba. And uh, what an amazing thing. Uh, her, her, she is mentioned here in this verse, and we don't read anything about her anywhere else. And yet, God used this woman to steal away Joash from the group of young children that were ready to be slaughtered so that he was not put to death. When David's lineage is in mortal danger and it seems as though the promise of God that your house and your kingdom shall be sure, made sure forever and your throne shall be established forever, when it seems as though that promise is failing, God raises up, God raises up Jehosheba that uh, she would rescue uh, this little baby who was probably under a year old. She rescued this little baby and the nurse and she hid them away in the temple, in a room in the temple, and Jehosheba uh, uh, was used by God in this way. And it reminds us that obedience to God, here she must have had, she took this heroic action to save this little child and stole him away. It was an illegal act. It was something that would, if it was discovered, no doubt Athaliah would have had no problem putting her own daughter to death. And so it involved deception. It involved Athaliah uh, not finding out that this grandson was not murdered. And it was a holy act, and it was a holy act on her part because it was done with the promise to David in mind. And we don't know anything about her personal life. We don't know her, about her piety. But she was married to Jehoiada, the high priest, 
So I think we can assume that because of the actions of Jehoiada and Jehosheba together, and taking this child into their family, bringing Joash into their home in the temple rooms where they lived, and raising him over the next seven years, we can assume that this is an act of one who was pious, who knew the Lord. And so isn't that also interesting that Jehoiada and Jehosheba, in such a godless context, remained faithful to the Lord? That's what you and I are called to do as well. Be faithful to the Lord even in a very wicked and godless context in the world in which we live. And to do those kinds of things is to be honest, to be truthful, to be courageous, and to stand for that which is right and holy and good. The Apostle Paul says of, to the Ephesians, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in what is good and right and true, and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so Jehosheba was doing that, and God in his providence, he didn't use some supernatural means, but he used a faithful woman carrying out what her, no doubt, her heart and her faith led her to do, and that was to act with great courage and with great danger to her own self act faithfully in that situation. And you know, our lives, are, we are put in various kinds of situations at various times in our lives. May God give us grace to act with courage and faithfulness to him when we may suffer for it. And so we come then to the third point tonight, and that is the king hidden the king hidden. And so we see then that uh, uh, if Joash is under one year old, uh, he has to be tended and cared for and raised. He was adopted into, uh, into uh, Jehoiada and Jehosheba's home. And he was raised by them and kept hidden Imagine the work that must have been involved in that and the care that must have been involved in keeping him hidden. Although Athaliah most likely was not a regular temple uh, a visitor. But he was hidden for six years. He continued, uh, in, in a sense, uh, uh, Athaliah's rule continued for six years. And think about that. How discouraging. Have such a wicked, wicked woman, a Jezebel, on the throne of the king of Judah, in, 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 on David's throne. How difficult for the godly at this time. And what a test. No sign of any rescue, no sign of God doing anything to change the situation. I wonder if sometimes you might think, you know, the Christian message is a message, especially I think about this for those of you who are young people here tonight. 
the Christian message and, and, and the things we learn about from the Bible are about things that you cannot see. They're, they're, the message of redemption about Jesus Christ is about a history that has taken place a long time ago. The rule of Christ in heaven even now is something that we speak about with great conviction. We believe that the Jerusalem above is real. And that Zion is where the throne of Christ is. But if you were young, sometimes there's an unreality to it that might hit you at times. And it's just like, where is it? I look around me, and we talk about, you know, and the church itself sometimes as an institution isn't all that, um, isn't all that impressive. We deal with, we struggle with human relationships and all, 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 all of that. And so, where is the kingdom of God? And I think the godly in this time were faced with the same thing. Where is the throne of David? Here it is in the hands of someone who is a murderer. And where is the rescue? The people who were in exile, that was the great theological crux, right? That was a great problem. The Israelites had to endure, later in the history, the destruction of Jerusalem. The temple wiped out, destroyed. Jerusalem destroyed. They were sent into exile. What about those promises? What about the glory that the prophets had told them about of Zion and of the promises of God coming to his people? Where is he and where is it? So we are called then to live by faith in the word of God. That God has told us about things we can't see. We can't see it with our physical eyes. But by faith we believe that God's word cannot be violated and that it must come to pass. And this is the great question. This is the great question of the exile. This is the great question of those who lived during Athaliah's six-year reign. And yet when Jesus came, what did he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I remember once um, I was talking with a friend uh, who was a member of the church that I pastored in New Hampshire years ago. This man was a, a dear believer, a dear Christian man who was um, of, of a different persuasion concerning um, the kingdom of God. And... Uh, I used to talk to him about Zion and about Christ's rule and his reign in the heavenly places. And, of course, the epistles of Paul are filled with it. And he would ask me, how can you say that Christ is ruling the world? Look at the world. Open your eyes. Look at it. Everything's a mess. And it continues to be. And I remember having those conversations, and I think that's something that we all, we, we deal with. We say, okay, well, there seems to be an unreality to it. And yet the rule of Christ is something that we accept by faith, that his kingdom is manifested in the greatness of his power 
in the redemption of you and you and you. The work of his power in your heart, regenerating you, uniting you to him. And his rule, though it is, cannot be seen with our physical eyes, he sits at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. And he has, an, he has been given all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and a name that is above every name. All authority was given to him. And you know, in Ephesians chapter 1, when we read about that, it says that he, above, he has been given a dominion and a name above every name, and everything has been put under his feet. Do you know what Paul goes on to say in chapter 2? He says, you, of, of Ephesians, he says, he says uh, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And God, in his mercy, made you alive in Christ Jesus. There's the power of King Jesus. Okay? There's the, there's the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. He brought you into his kingdom. And you are a citizen of Israel if you are born again. And so this promise to David uh, was, uh, was maintained as we see then that uh, uh, the king is now hidden and out of sight. And yet, uh, his, uh, the, and the seed of David is maintained. We see... Fourthly, the king revealed. And uh, I, I need to move a little faster here. But here we see that um, Jehoiada the, the priest uh, sets in course a plan. And uh, it says in Chronicles that in the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage and he gathered uh, uh, the Karaites and the guards, the captains and the Karaites and the guards, and he brought them all to uh, to Jerusalem. And so that's the first thing. He gathers uh, the, the ones who would be the guards and the bodyguard of the king. And he reveals to them Joash's existence, making a covenant with them and placing them under oath to protect him. And then secondly, we see that he reveals a plan to them. He says to them, uh, five companies of priests, including two that had gone off duty after a week's service and one who was on, that was on duty, all would be in the temple together without suspicion on a Sabbath day. Meanwhile, the guards from the royal palace and others would be able to protect the young king for his public unveiling. So they would surround the king with their weapons in their hands. And so that was the plan. And then thirdly, we see that they carry out Jehoiada's plan. And the captains did, verse 9, according as he commanded. And verse 12 tells us that Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. Verse 12 is so important. And then he brought out the king's son and put a crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed, to him, they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. And so the king is here publicly proclaimed as king, and he is anointed, and the people are joyous. And so just notice that he, first of all, that he is anointed. This is the symbol of God's choosing him to be king. Secondly, we see that he's given the testimony. And what is that? But it is a reference to the fact that every king of, of Israel 
was to be given a copy of God's law, and they were to copy it themselves. And that means they were to go to the trouble. Uh, copying requires close attention. And they were to copy it themselves, and they were to read the law of God all the days of their lives, and that they were to keep this law as they ruled on the throne. And that commandment is given in Deuteronomy 17. Notice, so the testimony is given to Joash. Here he is, a seven-year-old boy, um, and uh, he's given God's law. Thirdly, we see Athaliah had to be put to death. And so uh, as Athaliah comes out and cries treason, treason, uh, she, the usurper, cries treason, uh, Jehoiada commands her death. And uh, he, uh, they take her, uh, the guards take her, and they lead her out toward the king's uh, palace, and they put her to death there. And then we see... Uh, Fourthly, that a, that, a, that a covenant is made with the, with the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's covenant people. This is a covenant renewal ceremony that God will be our God. We will be his people. We will walk with him. We will follow his commandments. And so the king uh, was, uh, the king as well promised to rule by the commandments of God, and so that they were to be completely the Lord's. And if that was to be the case, then the house of Baal had to be destroyed. And we haven't read about the house of Baal, but imagine this. And then the southern kingdom of Judah, in, in, uh, in, the, in the land that had been more faithful than the northern kingdom, there was a house of worship for Baal. And so fidelity to God meant that they would need to put uh, to destroy the house of Baal. And uh, uh, there's a practical application there. Uh, we can't claim that, that, that we are going to be God's people and that we are going to have Jesus Christ to be our king unless we have every purpose to, to go to war against and to destroy that which is displeasing to him in our lives. To grieve over, to repent... And to repent and believe in such a way that we aim at destroying our ungodly lusts, our ungodly habits, that we seek to put them to death. The idols that we have, that we destroy, make it our purpose that we would destroy them. That's what Israel does. They, they enter into a covenant with God uh, and with the king. And they go out and they destroy the temple of Baal. And that is, uh, uh, is good. And they uh, put uh, the, the priest uh, of Baal to death. I just want to just, in closing, uh, I think I've already referred to it at several times, but I want us to see something that uh, Philip Ryken says in his commentary. He says, the history of Joash is also the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. The history of Joash is the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. When, when Jesus was brought into the world um, and the wise men go to Jerusalem thinking, well, of course, you know, when, when, the, when the king comes, he'll be born in Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. They inform Herod of what their purpose is. Herod says, uh, send me word 
and, and uh, he sends he sends for uh, uh, for the priests to find out where the, the the king will be born, and it's Bethlehem. And he sends them on their way to Bethlehem. What does Herod do? He goes to destroy all of the baby boys in Bethlehem. The history of Joash is the history of the Lord. Here is the king under threat. And then you see that later, um, not only in, in early in his infancy did Herod try to put Jesus to death, but uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel later crucified Christ. They did what God had predestined to take place. They did that, crucifying Jesus on the cross, and so it would appear to be. Think of the disciples. Were they not in the same place as the people, the godly in Jerusalem, when Athaliah was on the throne? Here is Jesus laid in the tomb. Every hope that they had for the establishment of the kingdom all of those Davidic hopes, gone, Jesus, on the cross, laid in the tomb. And it would seem as though all hope is gone, the darkest hour, the darkest hour in the hopes of God's people. And what happens? You know, Satan no doubt rejoiced. Satan rejoiced prematurely, however, for God raised Jesus on the third day. And he was snatched up to heaven, as the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 12. He was snatched up to heaven. And Psalm 2 tells us that God sits in the heavens and he laughs at the wicked as they rebel against the purposes. I have set my king on Zion's holy hill. And so the history of Joash is the history of Jesus. Joash was publicly proclaimed to be king. Jesus is publicly in the heavenly places proclaimed to be king. And all the angels bowed and worshipped him. And all of the saints who are there, imagine the crowd of people gathered at his coronation. And, and so we see then that Satan rejoiced prematurely, for Christ does sit, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It may appear to be bleak. It may appear that the kingdom of God does not appear, but its reality is nevertheless the case. I love the words of Acts 15 where we read after this, uh, uh, this is, and this is a quote from Amos chapter 9, the prophecy is that I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and that all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. We have just celebrated and we have looked in the book of Isaiah at the great promises of God, of, of, of the shoot, of the stump, of Jesse that would be born, that would come, that would be a king, that would be all wise, that would be all powerful, and that would redeem his people. And this is what God has done. In spite of 
the darkness of the times of Athaliah, God brought up his king to the throne. And so it is that it is true as well, as we can see in the story of, 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 of jo, uh, Joash's coronation. A similarity in this as well is that as Athaliah had to be put to death, so also will Jesus put to death all those who oppose him. And this is a, is a wonderful thing for us to consider, that during the times of the gospel, during the times in which the word of God and the gospel of the good news of saving grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ is being made known, was made known through the preaching of the apostles, and it's being made known now, that day of vengeance, that day of punishment, is being held off. It's being held back. But that day will come. When the Lord Jesus, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the urgency of the gospel, and the reason that the Apostle Paul felt it so keenly, and, and, and he speaks about uh, that sense of the urgency of preaching the gospel, is because this is the day of salvation. This is the day. This time, right now, is the day of salvation. Now think about it. You also are uh, a part of the visible Israel, the visible church. And what was it that they needed to do? They needed to exercise faith in the promise of God concerning, at that time, David. We also need to exercise faith in the promise of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day of grace is now. So believe the promise. Believe that God has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. Believe that he is now enthroned in heaven. And as the writer of the, psalm, the second psalm says, kiss the son. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Take refuge in him. Run to him. Believe him to be your Lord and Savior now. Because he is the king. He is the one who was promised to the people of Israel. May it be that God would uh, so work in our hearts that he would unite us ever more strongly to this one who is the fulfillment of the promise to David. His throne will endure forever. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word. And we ask, God, that we would not be faithless like Israel was, but that we would be faithful. Or Help us, O oh Lord, to believe that even when times are dark, even when things are difficult, and even when it seems to us that we can't see and we struggle to believe, Lord, grant us faith to believe the promise that it is sure and steadfast, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.